Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Connections and Directions, our University of Michigan Civil and Environmental Engineering podcast. My name is Michelle Santillian, and I am the CEE Marketing Communications Specialist and host of this series. During our podcasts, we are featuring members of our CEE community and how their work reflects our mission of engineers in service to society. We will be highlighting our strategic directions and our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. CEE's five strategic directions are human habitat experience, shaping resource flows, adaptation, automation, and smart infrastructure finance. I'm excited to welcome Professor Sabine Lose, who will join the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering on August 28, 2023. She is an emerging leader of the natural hazards engineering field whose pioneering research surrounds the development of disaster information that centers on users and the human experience. She applies geospatial modeling, risk analysis, and visualization techniques to develop tools that inform effective and equitable disaster risk reduction and recovery. Through the lens of data, her work bridges engineering with the natural and social sciences to support vulnerable communities, both domestically and in the global south. Between now and August 2023, Dr. Lose will be a United States Geological Survey Mendenhall Fellow in collaboration with the Natural Hazard Center at the University of Colorado Boulder, developing methods for socially equitable risk assessments. Welcome, Dr. Lose, and thank you for being with us today. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me here today. Well, we're excited that you'll be joining us next year, and we wanted to find out, um, if you could, please share with our listeners some details about your research area and goals and how they align with CEE's strategic directions and our mission of engineers in service to society. Sure. Yeah, I'd be I'd be happy to. I don't know how much I can add based on that wonderful introduction, but maybe I'll give a little bit of a personal flair here. Um, yeah, like you said, generally my research is in the natural hazard hazards and disaster space. So, really, this is a field that's not just engineering, but it's quite unique. It's it's got people from the social sciences, the earth sciences, and I kind of work to bring in bridge engineering with with those other those fields um, and what I like to say is that I'm a disaster analyst and our lab will be a growing a growing group of disaster analysts and so um, like you mentioned in the intro really that covers a wide range of things right so we do a lot of really nitty-gritty data analytics and predictive modeling usually using geospatial data sets but um, with all of that very technical modeling, um, it really comes down to the people, right? So who, who is affected that we're representing in those models and who is using the information that we produce? And we, so we try to supplement all of that modeling with an understanding of the people, right, um, by mixing the modeling with other forms of knowledge from qualitative interviews or focus groups or surveys. So, yeah, I guess... Uh, an example of that would be, um, you know, back during my PhD, we developed a way to rapidly estimate building damage 
um, using a mix of data from remote sensing or crowdsourcing and to produce that after a disaster occurs. But before we uh, designed that model, what we did was we actually interviewed the folks that might use this information very rapidly after an earthquake would occur to see what their informational needs were so we could then design our systems for them in mind. Um, we also kind of built off that and found out that what people need is not only information on building damage, but also where the populations are that are expected to, to face some real obstacles during the recovery after an event. So we built um, additional models to estimate that key piece of information. And so, yeah, it's just kind of a nice mix of of modeling and, and working with, with the people that, that would be using those models. Um, so I think that gets at your first part of the question, but maybe remind me the second part of the question. It's about our, our strategic direction and engineers in service to society. Yes. So um, if you were looking at CEE strategic directions, um, which one or, or several of them would you say that your area of specialization aligns with? Yeah, I think, honestly, it kind of aligns with with a lot of them across the board, you know, because we work at with disasters, there's a lot of adaptation work, but also, um, like I said, we're working with people, so they um, try and incorporate the human habitat experience into our work. Um, but I think kind of this broad question of engineers and service to society, I think that's a really good one and a really good goal. I think it's it's tricky, right? And I think, you know, civil engineers, we're trained uh, to serve the public, and we've been trained to do that for years and years and years, right? We have a code of ethics. It's really common for us to get licensed after we finish college, um, and that's not really a thing in other engineering fields, and I think that's why civil and environmental engineering is very, very neat, but it's this question of what is the public, and what I think and I know is that there is no such thing as the general public and uh, I think as engineers we need to think about uh, what our role has been in creating these technical systems that have historically prioritized certain groups of the public over others so for example just in my space disaster modeling techniques really were rooted in supporting insurance, right? And insurance is great. It's a great resource to help folks recover from a disaster. But a lot of time, at least for earthquakes, those who can afford insurance are those who already have the resources to be able to adapt and recover themselves. And so how do we consider and acknowledge these things when we're developing our technical systems so that we prioritize those who are most vulnerable? Um, so the same thing, I think, can be applied to other areas of civil and environmental engineering. It's not just within the natural hazard space. For example, you know, what kinds of buildings and structures are we teaching students to value? What, what are we learning about where we're placing our transportation networks and what neighborhoods they're in? So I think really our lab will specifically come at the research that we do with this equity lens, right, trying to think about who are we including when we design our research? What is our research prioritizing? And making sure that we reflect on the groups and prioritize those who have been historically overlooked in, in our systems. 
And I think your response is an excellent um, answer to one of my other questions that I was going to ask you, and that is how you incorporate diversity, equity, and inclusion throughout your research and in the courses that you'll be teaching. And so I think, you know, you did a great job of highlighting that. Is there anything you would like to add to address DEI um, in in either your research and or um, the classes you anticipate uh, teaching down the road? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, and um, yeah, hopefully it's obvious that like our research and our, our teaching, I really want to center diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice, because, you know, as you can tell, like, my PhD research was really focused on developing these models of impact that support more equitable decisions later on. And now at USGS, we're kind of applying those principles to the systems that we produce globally. But at Michigan, right, it'll be coming down to the teaching and the research there. And um, I think that can be broken down into two things, right? It's the content and the process. So the content being what are we teaching? What's the subject matter in our classes? And I'm really of the mind that you can learn these very technical skills like statistics and probability at the same time as looking at these broader societal problems that we as engineers are increasingly going to face. So that one example I briefly mentioned, simply by overlaying traffic networks with census data, you can see which neighborhoods are cut off um, and the demographics of those neighbor neighborhoods. And that's actually research being done by, by a dear colleague, Rohan um, but also there's just kind of this really super low-hanging fruit of like taking a step back and looking at what content is being represented in our coursework, right? So we can use these tools to check the bibliographies of our papers or our syllabi and see, okay, what's the gender balance here? Who are we representing? If we're talking about maybe inequities and disasters after the Nepal earthquake, which is where I worked, are we representing papers that have authors from Nepal? You know, there's very simple things that we can do to improve our coursework and make it more representative and diverse. But then I think in terms of inclusion and equity, right, it comes to the process, right? So with classrooms, I think the very traditional structure is you know, a professor teaches at the front, and then the students listen. And in, in that structure, you know, some people are naturally more outspoken than others, and that's totally fine. But in that setting, those folks' opinions, they, they make it all the way back to the instructor. And so what I try to do is break up that traditional structure with other opportunities for other people who might speak and contribute their opinions in different ways, whether that be um, building smaller group discussions and exercises or really making space for um, these one-on-one -on -one meetings. And I think, you know, in the classroom we can do that. And I think it's really important to do that process with our research as well. So thinking about, you know, who are included, again, in our design of our research. And so, for example, again, in Nepal, where I worked a lot, we had researchers from all around the world, but importantly, we had researchers in Nepal, and we had different backgrounds and ages and genders and disciplines. So, again, we had diversity, but we tried to make it an inclusive space by making that 
uh, research group as welcoming as possible. We'd have group reflections to take a look at our power dynamics that come with having all of these different people with different experiences. And so I wouldn't say that it's perfect, right? We're all learning and growing, but I think, you know, I really try to strive to bring all of this into the classroom, into the research process, and, and really build that welcoming community. And so you know, I'm really hoping to do that when, once I'm at Michigan and kind of build that process and that culture there. Um, and, of course, that already exists as well, but just further build it. How did you become um, interested in this particular area of research that you've pursued? And was there a course that you took um, somewhere in school or a personal experience you had that led you down this path? Yeah, Um yeah, thanks, Michelle. I think <laughs> I think I usually have like a very cookie cutter response to this, and like go back to one experience. But if I'm really being honest here, um, it's it's a series of many experiences that have built up and got me into in this space. And I think those experiences can come down to like this mix of this general vision that I had of what I wanted to do with my career. And, you know, to be honest, a bit of luck, right? And so, um, yeah, I'm an engineer, but I also identify as a woman. I identify from being from an immigrant family. And I think all of these intersecting identities really shaped kind of the values that I had coming into college and thinking about what what I wanted to do with my career. And what I wanted to do then um, was use engineering to help people, right? And so that's why I chose civil engineering, and I think that's why a lot of people with technical skills end up in civil and environmental engineering over all of the other disciplines in engineering. And, you know, I was really excited, and I was taking all of these classes in undergrad, and um, I was actually having a really hard time finding those values I had represented in my classes. You know, we weren't talking about let's say, how to work with communities to design a, a community center in their neighborhoods or just thinking about the bigger picture around the engineering systems that we were learning how to, to, to design or calculate or analyze. And so, yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, I think this is really important because as I've gotten to be in this space more and more and meet more people and read more, um, I found that a lot of women and people of color don't, continue in engineering because of this fact that they're not finding their values represented in the work. And I've had moments myself where I reconsidered even whether I should be in this field, but I will say what kept me going is I found little pockets of engineering that do hold those values. And so in undergrad, it was the folks who were doing humanitarian engineering. And in grad school, I found my home with the engineers who would think about natural hazards and disasters. And that's because it is it is really this inflection point in time where engineers are, are forced to think about and reflect on the implications of our designs and our models and how they affect people. And honestly, I found that home, not with just the engineers who think about that, but with all of the other disciplines who think about natural hazards as well. And, you know, a big part of it was being lucky enough to have just a few mentors who supported kind of this vision along the way. And so I'm not going to lie. I think I, a lot of these opportunities came up because of this vision I had of wanting to pursue engineering. 
for, let's say, the, the global good, but it also, I was in the right place at the right time for a lot of it. You know, it was a combination of drive, luck, and some sort of, you know, privilege to be in spaces to receive some of these opportunities. And so, yeah, I think with all of that, that's that's why I really wanted to be a professor, and I'm hopeful I can share some of the opportunities that that I received with my students um, at Michigan. So as you cited in your response about having found those little pockets or communities, if you would, of, uh, during a time of, in your undergrad and in your uh, graduate studies, um, what classes then do you anticipate teaching initially um, here at UMCEE? And do you have ideas for additional courses that you would like to see incorporated into the curriculum moving, you know, as moving into future years? Yeah, um, I do know what class I will be te uh, teaching right when I get there. So I, I'll be taking on CEE 373, which is the statistical methods course. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm pretty excited about it, honestly. I think, um, you know, in this day and age, it's really important, even if you don't do, like, data modeling and machine learning and all of this stuff, it's really important to become more and more data literate. Um, and to be able to read and understand data. And so I think when, when it's taught well, um, it, it can be a real tool for like the rest of any engineer's life. Um, so I'm excited to take that course on um, at the undergrad level. And I think at the grad level, I'm still kind of playing around with a few ideas and I'd love to learn what uh, the students think would be exciting and useful. And so one of those ideas is um, doing a spatial analysis and statistics class. So a lot of, you know, the kind of this regional work requires spatial data, whether it be from the census or modeling where building footprints are, combining all of that, and then also analyzing them. And so, you know, I think there's ways to work with that data. And, you know, sometimes it exists in civil engineering departments, sometimes it doesn't, but I think it would be really cool to bring that in to the CEE department. And the other idea I had was um, kind of this disaster risk and vulnerability analysis class. So it's a class that looks at how do you model natural hazard risk and vulnerability, but also, um, you know, there's this way of modeling it that's very quantitative, like I mentioned, from the engineering. But there's also these other definitions of vulnerability that come from, you know, the social sciences, sociology and geography, and trying to merge these multiple understandings. So as engineers go into um, analyzing and modeling disaster risk, they understand there's other ways to view it as a concept. But um, yeah, those are just a couple of ideas. I think really with, with the classes, um, I want to kind of, you know, teach, like I said, these technical skills, but also supplement it with other important things that come along. So um, really emphasizing the importance of communication, um, using new ways of communicating, such as visualization, or um, kind of using these as a moment to have project-based courses where we can work with communities or end users that might need a certain analysis. Because, you know, 
once you finish classes in college, um, most things will be about projects rather than exams in a, in a finite amount of period. So, yeah, those are just a couple of ideas, but, but I'm, I'm looking for feedback on, on what, what everyone thinks might be most exciting and useful. Is there a general final uh, message you would like to convey to our CEE audience before we end uh, today's podcast? If it can be, if it's not super clear from all of my previous responses, um, generally as, as a researcher, as a future professor, um, as a person, I care about creating um, this culture, you know, that is really welcoming and reflective and you know, inquisitive, and the reason is I want people to feel comfortable to share their thoughts, to share their thoughts and make mistakes, um, and to work with each other, because I think I found that's kind of the best way that we can learn and we can innovate, and so, you know, I think in this podcast, it makes it seem like, um, you know, I have a bunch of answers, right? And I don't, and I'm really excited to have this community in the CE department and to learn and grow with everyone, the students, the staff and faculty there. So, um, yeah, I think just a kind of general conveying of my excitement to join in a year. And so, yeah, thank you, Michelle, for inviting me to be on this podcast. You're welcome. And again, we look forward to seeing you here in Ann Arbor in August of 2023. Thank you for listening to our podcast conversation. For more information about CEE at Michigan, please visit our website at cee.umich.edu. You can also reach our YouTube channel and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages from our website.